You're listening to the Can't Wait Podcast with Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Can't wait! We are recording this Sunday, August 25th, early in the morning. Well, by Sunday morning standards, I guess. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes. This is uh, episode two, technically. We'll kind of call it 1B of Can't Wait, our Jets podcast here at The Athletic. Um, We are going to recap a long Jets loss to the Saints on (laughs) Saturday night. Lots of penalties, and Connor got a little sleep in, right? Oh, a little bit, man. It was uh, it was certainly a long night, man. I, that's I, I can't stand these night games. Like I know everyone likes primetime football and all that, but you, you, like at least this was on Saturday, so you didn't get caught in traffic. But normally you're stuck in traffic on the way to the stadium. You're not getting out of there till mad late. Then when you do get back there, you're not getting home till late, and then it's like you finally crawl in the bed and you got to get up right after it. So it's uh, I, give me give me one o'clock starts from for for week one through seventeen. I'll I'll take that and I'll be a happy camper. Yeah, right, well, we'll give you coffee to get you through this episode, and that'll go. that'll yeah, have to do for today. Brought to you by Can't Wait Podcast. <laughs> yes. Brought to you by Insert Coffee Brand here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, a lot to get to. Uh, we'll talk about that game and and the good and the bad that came of it. But before we get to the the Jets and the loss to the Saints, the big news that kind of sent shockwaves through the NFL while that game was actually going on was the news that Andrew Luck is retiring from football, just 29 years old. He's obviously battled all these injuries over the years with the Colts, but he was the 2018 Comeback Player of the Year. He hasn't played yet this spring because of yet another injury, but how did you find out about this, Connor, at, at the Jets game? It's actually crazy, man. I, I was on the phone uh, w- with someone actually during the game, talking to uh, someone I'm close to within the league circles, uh, and and I was talking to him about Jadavion Clowney, which I know we're going to get to in a little bit. I wasn't talking to him about Andrew Luck, and as we're on the phone with each other, he kind of goes, "What the hell? Luck's not retiring." And then I was like, uh, "Wait, what'd you say?" He goes, "Someone." He goes, "I just goes, you just got a tw- text from someone about asking if, like about Luck retiring." He goes, "Luck isn't retiring because we're both on the phone together at the same time." And so immediately, like, I had, like, you know, when I, I, for me, I have Twitter alerts turned on. Uh, so I'll hear dings all the time when I'm on my phone with people. And usually, like, when you get one, it's like, okay, it's whatever. It's probably, like, pro football talk or, or you know, uh, Schefter might have tweeted something minor or it's another person on the beat that I keep tabs on. Uh, but then I, like, heard the first ding of a Twitter notification and then, like, ate immediately after it. And I was like, huh, I guess something must have happened. But never in a million years thinking it was that. So when he said something, I looked down at my phone, and sure enough, the first thing I see is the ESPN score tracker alert, Schefter, like everyone, Andrew Luck is retired, Andrew Luck is retired. I was like, I said that guy was like, holy cow, no, it actually happened. So, I mean, it was, it's an absolute stunner, man, especially I think what's what's crazy is that it's uh, it's for a team that was gearing up for a potential Super Bowl run. I mean, this this Colt team was uh, orchestra or I should say, um, created by Chris Bowers, who's done a tremendous job since he took over as GM. Uh, was ready to make a run. They had the all-pro quarterback. They had a run game. They had an improved offensive line. They had a defense. They had everything you need. And now you go from a team that looks ready to make a run to for for a potential you know championship to one that is now going to be grasping at straws to finish 800. I mean, it, it really is. It's really amazing. It's going to be interesting to see how this thing pans out and plays out because I know Jacoby Brissett flashed a little bit but but I don't know if he's a starter or if he's just a, a pretty good backup I mean he played a little bit the the one year luck was hurt but you know he didn't really show anything like oh that's a future franchise guy so will the Colts try to make a run you know where they they look at a team like maybe the Giants to try to steal away uh you know Eli Manning to open the door for Daniel Jones to play I don't know but but it's going to be it's I don't know if we've ever seen 
uh, at least me, during my time covering the NFL and even watching the NFL as a kid. I don't know if we've ever seen a player of this magnitude step away in such a stunning fashion when he's, at, when he's in the prime of his career. It re- really is surprising. Yeah, and it seems like, I don't know, maybe there could be more of these things going forward just because of everything that is going on in the NFL with the injuries and the long-term life um, expectancy and everything. And he had some interesting quotes after the game saying, I haven't been able to live the life I want to live. And then the one that really stood out to me was he said, part of my journey going forward is to figure out how to get out of pain. I mean, that stands out to me. This is a guy who uh, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic tweeted out the list of injuries. Torn cartilage in two ribs, partially torn abdomen, lacerated kidney that left him peeing blood, at least one concussion, that's a given for a quarterback in the NFL, a torn labrum in his shoulder, his uh, throwing shoulder, and then this injury this year, the calf ankle issue that just seemed to kind of linger and not go away. I mean, this is a 29-year-old. That's a lifetime worth of injuries. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you think about the way that he played, and, and it was always one of those things watching him early in his career. And, and it's kind of a, a reason why Ryan Grigson ended up losing his job, which opened the door for Ballard to join. But, I mean, the Colts were alarmingly inefficient at addressing the offensive line and protecting Andrew Luck. They seemingly got him and then started filling everything around him and filling everything around him very poorly without addressing the ones up front. So, so when you don't address the offensive line – you start getting crushed, and your quarterback starts getting crushed. And eventually, especially with the way that Luck plays, where he's moving around, he's fighting for every yard, every play is his last, even when he slides sometimes. I mean, the guy was taking hit after hit after hit. And and unfortunately for, for the Colts, those or that direction the franchise took so early in Luck's career is a reason why Andrew Luck decided to end his career so early because he's basically looking at this and saying, I don't, I don't want to live in pain. Like you said, you, you – you, you understand that from a guy. I mean, I don't think that, you know, fans, a lot of fans watch football on Sundays, right? And and that's what they see. They see the finished product. They see the touchdowns. They see the glory. Uh, they see the heartache when your team loses. What they don't see is that when you tear your knee, when you tear your knee up, when you hurt your back, when you break a bone, when you crack a rib, when you do all these things, it's not like, okay, you sit on your couch for two or three weeks and then you come back and you're 100%. No, it's a grueling, brutal process to return to the field, and they have to do it day in and day out. They're waking up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. just to get there for treatment, and then your treatment and treatment and treatment, and then you're rehabbing, and then you're going through all of these painful uh, measures to get your body back ready to play. When you're doing that year after year, day in and day out, it takes a toll. And the quote, that, like you said, that, that kind of stood out to me was when he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically the pain from that, the, the the pain that I was enduring and the rehab and all took away my love for the game. And, and I think that was just an incredibly moving statement. And it kind of showed and, and shed light into the life that this guy was forced to live. And, and you know, when you've already made money, when you when you already have enough in the bank to, to, to obviously have you living the life that you want to live and also set your kids up for their future and you have a wife and you have children at home and you realize that there is more to life than this game, I mean, you got to step away because football really isn't a sport that you can play half in. You got to be two feet in, 100% go. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to get hurt again. So, you know, I, I, I feel for the NFL because they lost a star and they lost someone uh, that so many people looked up to and also was just a joy to watch play. But at the same time, I respect Andrew Luck for walking away because, you know, it, it wasn't an easy decision. But at the same time, he made it because he was just fed up and tired. And when you lose the love of the sport, it, it is time to walk away. 
Meanwhile, Colts fans have kind of thrown themselves up on the, the list of all-time terrible fan moves. They're right up there with the Eagles fans throwing snowballs at uh, Santa Claus now, booing <laughs> Andrew Luck as he walked off the field after um, knowing that he was going to retire. I mean, classless, in my opinion. I mean, it's just terrible. Yeah. Fans know the pain that these guys go through and how hard it is to play this game. And this guy makes this decision after bringing your franchise a lot of success. Yes, he didn't win a Super Bowl like Peyton Manning, but he took you to an AFC championship game. He had success. He's made a life decision. You boo him going off the field. There's just no excuse for it. I don't care how riled up you were at a football game. It's just classless. And to be honest, I didn't expect to see that from Colts fans. That's what you expect from the more intense, I will say, East Coast fans maybe, and there's a few bad eggs in there that get something started. But I was shocked to see it in Indy. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's wild. I mean, you've you've had those examples too, where I know the, I think the Eagles were the ones who cheered when um, uh, Michael Irvin, right? Wasn't that yes, happened when yeah. Michael Irvin got hurt? They cheered when when he suffered. I think it was like a career-ending injury. Uh, I think there was like some 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 uh, myriad of claps too when when Chad Pennington got hurt with the Jets. I, th- I thought I I wasn't covering the team then, but I thought I remembered reading that or, or seeing it on a highlight show or, or something along those lines. I mean, it's a weird bunch with, with football fans. And when I heard when I saw that. I was kind of stunned because he's somebody, and again, you don't really know his reasoning. So I, I guess if you're a fan in the moment, you're just looking down at your phone and you're seeing Twitter and, and you see that Andrew Luck retired, your your initial reaction is anger, obviously, because it came out of nowhere two weeks before the season started. And I, I like, I hope to think that their uh, reaction would have been significantly different had they had heard his press conference first for him giving his reason why he was stepping away before seeing that. You know what I mean? Yes. As opposed to just this guy's just quitting on his team to know there is a reason why he's stepping away. He just cannot do this anymore uh, mentally. Not physically. Mentally, he can't take this anymore. But still, I mean, look, it's it's putting lipstick on a pig, man. You can't can't really defend anything that – that they did. I mean, that's just, it's just brutal. Especially, I mean, even if the guy did decide to leave, how many years did he give the Colts? How many years did he sacrifice his body? He took the team. I mean, they, they when, when Peyton went down, didn't they win one game, right? Yeah, Where that's they how they were able to, to get him, right? He was the exactly, number one pick. Exactly, yeah. So, and he took them from that to a, much like Peyton, a perennial Super Bowl playoff contender. I mean, you can't, it's, 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 it was an ugly moment, uh, certainly for Colt fans. It was an ugly moment uh, for sports. Now, obviously, it was just, it was the end of a third preseason game. So, only a smattering of fans still in there. And I'm sure those in there were not, uh, I'm sure they were a little, uh, in, I'm, I'm assuming they were probably pretty intoxicated if you stayed till the end of a preseason game. Uh, so, they're, uh, <laughs> You'd I, I have would to be. be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I know I, I wanted to be. I haven't watched that damn Jets game last night. But uh, I think that it was one of those things where uh, it, it, it was just an ugly, an ugly situation, um, sad situation, and you really just don't want to see it. All right. Well, let's get to the Jets game now. Um, that was a lot of time on, on another team, but it was big news, and, and it will continue to be, new, mm-hmm. be news throughout the season, I think. But uh, when we talk about the Jets, we got to start at the quarterback position, as always, and Sam Darnold. Um, maybe not the overall brilliant game that he had had in his first two um, short stints in the preseason, um, but pretty good. Eight for 13, 97 yards with a makeshift offensive line in front of him. And the the touchdown pass, Connor, stood out because we know he's got a rocket arm but or a strong arm, but he showed touch on that throw to Ty Montgomery. Yeah, everything about that really stood out to me as 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 impressive. I mean, it was it was also just more so than that. And and I'm gonna uh, Monday or this will be day before. So Monday, I'm gonna be writing a story 
um, that will kind of illustrate. This is this is one of the points I want to hammer home. But it was also a beautiful play design. I mean, the Jets bunched uh, three of their receivers over to the left. I think it was Robbie Anderson, Quincy Anunwa, and Jamison Crowder. If my memory serves me correct, uh, those three guys then ran uh, cr- variations of patterns that took the defense to the right side of the field. Uh, Chris Herndon, who lined up on the right side of the field, kind of came across on a drag to the left. Uh, but what I loved was the the, the Ty Montgomery for me, uh, movement there uh, pre-play. He started in the shotgun with Darnold to the left. Darnold then raised his leg. Montgomery moved over to the right on the snap. Montgomery came behind Darnold, which kind of makes you lose track of him if you're a defender having to cover him because now suddenly you don't you have linemen standing up and blocking, plus now he's behind the quarterback. And then released into the flat on that like little swing pass, and, and that was able to give him a step on the linebacker and Darnold with just a gorgeous throw over his head. I mean, from from play design, execution, uh, and then the throw, it was it was perfection from the Jets on a night where they were stuck in a funk that that I wrote this. It kind of reminded me of of Jeremy Bates last year. I mean, that's how just just kind of off the offense looked, and that's not a shot at Adam Gase. I mean, it was it was a result of just the players not being on the field. The offensive line was not working. The offensive line was communicating, and if you don't have that going for you, you're not going to have anything going for you. Uh, but but that look, Darnold this this summer, and, and we talked about it a little bit last week. Darnold this summer, Darnold this preseason, he's shown everything that you want to see from him. He's checked all the boxes. I mean, he is calm, cool, and collected in, in Adam Gase's up tempo attack, attack, attack offense. His his accuracy is improved. He's now, uh, in his own words, not so spastic in the pocket while still making those plays with his athleticism out of it. And his arm is stronger than it's ever been by his own admission and also that of his coach GM and, and those that have seen him uh, from, from his rookie year. So this is a guy that looks very much ready to take that next step this year. Uh, at this point, I mean, Matt, look, he, he is, the Jets are convinced this guy is a franchise quarterback. They're, they're not banking on optimism. They believe he is a franchise quarterback right now. And if that is the case, if they are accurate in their assessment on uh, what they believe Darnold is, I mean, the, 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 you never know what, what's going to happen this season. You know, quarterbacks take that, that second-year jump all the time. You saw it with Carson Wentz. You saw it with Jared Goff. You saw it, obviously, to the extreme with Pat Mahomes, but also to a lesser extent with Mitch Trubisky. I mean, these guys in today's NFL see a, such a substantial growth in their play from rookie year to year two. And while I don't think that Darnold has the roster around him like Wentz had in Philly or Goff had with the Rams or obviously Mahomes had with the Chiefs, uh, Bears, and even you can go with Deshaun Watson and the Texans. I don't think the Jets roster is that good. Uh, if Darnold is ready and, and and takes that step this year, I mean, anything can happen for the Jets because when you have a franchise quarterback in this league, you have everything. And a franchise quarterback can mask so many other weaknesses where, again, if Darnold's that good, there's no reason why the Jets can't be competing for 9 or 10 wins this year uh, with the state of their roster, uh, certainly. I mean, it, it's the kid... The kid looks good, and, and if you're a Jet fan, I know it's it's so hard to, to bank on that optimism because you've been looking for a franchise quarterback since you know Broadway Joe walked out the door in '77. Uh, I think it was '77 uh, or '67. No, '77. I'm sorry. It's like I said, I'm very tired from that game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's 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 certainly a, a bright time right now because Darnold, uh, he the guy the guy just looks ready. He looks like he is ready to do this. The overall numbers for the preseason, 17 of 25, that's 68%, 211 yards, a couple of touchdowns, no interceptions, which is obviously key. Uh, The QB rating, 120.58. 
is there anything that you is there something left I guess that that you didn't see from him so far in the preseason that you still want to see once the regular season starts? No, man. I, honestly, honestly, no. And I'm not like anyone who knows me knows I'm not a Jets homer. Like that, that's not me. I didn't grow up a Jets fan. I'm not a Jets fan now. Obviously, uh, whether this team wins or loses, it does not impact me at all. So it's not like I'm sitting here, you know, carrying the water and 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 just you know talking to see me like oh you know waving green and white pom poms. It's that's not me. It's never been me. And anyone who's followed me. Uh, even before my athletic time, I mean, they know they know that's the case. I mean, I can't tell you how many tweets I get for being too harsh. Uh, but but no, there, there's nothing else this kid could have shown, or there's nothing else I wanted to show, and and or I wanted him to show. And you kind of actually touched on it on it more so than anything else is is the turnovers. And I kind of forgot about that. Is that he went the entire preseason, all those series, without turning the ball over once in terms of an interception or fumble, and that were that were big concerns with him both entering college out of USC and then also after a rookie season and and the fact that he was able to remain turnover free throughout the preseason and I think the only pass that really was close was the first one he threw uh, against the Giants on on the first series literally his first pass was almost picked by Jabril Peppers but going off of what he showed in training camp where he was turnover free virtually every practice aside from one or two where it looked like receivers would run the wrong way uh, then also that into the preseason I mean, the, 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 it was it was seriously every box you wanted to check, the kid checked, and he left nothing uh, to be hoped or wished for. I mean, even last night he, he hit the long shot to Robbie Anderson, so you can check that one off as well. Yeah, yeah, the long throw. He had a couple of darts, and then he had the touch pass for the touchdown. So he did it all there in the in the final preseason game, or his final preseason game, as well. Um, so during the week, you put out a story, basically the worry meter for this Jets team heading into preseason mm-hmm. game number three. Um, what positions they should feel good about? What positions um, there's concern? And you use some fun terms along the way for quarterback. You went with California cool, and I think that is certainly still true and holding up after the performance from Darnold. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go through some of the other ones, though, that maybe there is a little more. The worry meter either stayed where it was in a bad spot or maybe even moved up a little bit um, after preseason game number three. Let's start with the offensive line. And basically the problem here is we just haven't seen the offensive line together. Ryan Khalil was expected to finally make his first start in the preseason um, on Saturday night. He didn't. They held him out, said basically... He's only been in pads for a week, and, and it just they decided to, to wait a little bit longer. Um, and then you have the two guards, both hurt and Winters and, and assembly, uh, pectoral muscle and a shoulder. So you have three-fifths of your offensive line there um, out on Saturday. But, but more importantly, I guess we're going to go into the regular season now, and the offensive line will have not played That's an actual game down together. How much worry is there? That, that I'm worried about. I mean, the, the yeah. talent of the Jets' offensive line. I think Joe Douglas actually met the media before the Jets played the Saints and, and really just sang the high praises of, of Lewis and Compton and Harrison. And then Lewis and Compton and Harrison proceeded to absolutely implode on the field. So I think Douglas <laughs> might have jinxed them entering in there. Uh, they, are not, they have not looked as bad as they performed against the Saints you know, throughout training camp and all that stuff. Um, but, but no, I, I think that's, that's the concern. Is when the Jets are – when that front is healthy – I think that they have the ability to be average to above average, with the, which in the NFL, that's a very good thing. I mean, there are there are so few good offensive lines in the NFL. I mean, you can count them. Uh, you could probably be missing a couple fingers and still count them on one hand. Uh, that, that's just kind of the state of the offensive line in today's NFL. And the Jets had the chance to be average. And again, an average line in the NFL is kind of very good compared to what other teams have. So uh, I, I think that they will be fine when everyone's healthy. The issue is, is like you kind of alluded to, these guys have not not only not only have they not played together, 
they haven't had a single practice together. They Because when Ryan Khalil signed was shortly – Ryan Khalil first signed with the Jets – Everyone was kind of still around there and healthy a little bit. But then Brian Winters went down. And Ryan Khalil, remember, wasn't practicing when he first signed with the Jets. When Ryan Khalil finally did return, that's when Osemele went out. So now Ryan Khalil's in there. He's at least practicing with the Jets, but he's not playing in preseason games. So now you have a front five that's going to be on paper. Calvin Beecham left. Uh, Kaleche Osemele left guard. Your center's Khalil. Right guard Brian Winters. Right tackle Brandon Shell. That five has not taken a single snap together throughout this summer since they have all been here on the roster. Not a single snap. And I know that Gase kind of he, – he downplayed it. He said they're in the meeting rooms. You know, they'll, they'll be able to pick it up. Uh, you know, Douglas kind of said the same thing, that, the, you know, once they get the practice time together, it'll be fast to find that chemistry. I find that very hard to believe because it is so important to have everyone thinking the same and communicating the same and on the same page for those guys up front. And one week link can cause a line-wide implosion like the Jets saw with Wesley Johnson a couple years ago, like the Jets saw with Spencer Long last year. One week link can just implode this thing. Uh, you need to have everyone firing on all cylinders. You need to have everyone clicking. And it takes time to develop that chemistry. It takes time to develop that camaraderie. Meetings help. Practice helps. But you need to also see game time. And the fact that Jets have had none throughout this entire offseason with those five guys being on the field together at once that is a concern. And even if, look, even if these guys, even if Winters comes back and, and uh, Osemele comes back and Khalil you know, returns to practice this week and for the next 15 days leading to the game, that's just 15 days. And that's not 15 days of practice. That's just 15 days of real life in-person time. Uh, it, it is it is absolutely a, a concern there that they have not played together. And I think they will, have, assuming they stay healthy, they will eventually find their rhythm maybe week three, maybe week four. But the, for those first couple games, I mean, they're just not going to be uh, clicking and meshing like they would have had all of these guys practice throughout the summer and at least gotten a couple series together in the preseason. Yeah, and it's not a kind schedule early on once you get past the oh, Bills no. either, so they're going to need to be on quickly. Okay, but the real worry meter takes effect when we look at the other side of the ball and the defense um, and, and what Greg Williams has to work with. Let's start at linebacker. Um, Brandon Copeland, the suspension now. Avery Williamson, obviously, the injury. Um, Neville Hewitt, we saw get burned a little bit last night in coverage. How worried are the Jets about this linebacking core? Are, are, I guess you are. Are you worried about it? Well, I, I think the thing is that it's like what Neville Hewitt showed against the Saints is what you knew. There's no, no nothing changed, I think, with that linebacking unit. Someone, someone actually asked me that on Twitter, too. Nothing really changed with the linebacking unit exiting that Saints game because Neville Hewitt, what you saw was what you knew you were going to see. The guy is a physical uh, bulldozer rhino of a human. I mean, he's going to pack a punch. He's going to come down the line. He's going to attack the line of scrimmage, and he's going to blow up run plays. But he is not a cover linebacker. That's not what he does. So what you're going to have is that if you ask him to cover – Teams, smart teams like the Saints with, with Sean Payton, the head coach, who's, who's one of the better offensive minds in the league, Drew Brees, who's one of the, the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, they're going to find that weak spot and they're going to pick on it, which is exactly what they did. They used a pick play to suck uh, to, to suck Neville Hewitt in, which allowed Kamara to get out on a swing pass for the long 25-yard gain. They then went down the seam against him uh, to a tight end, which again, I think he was like their third, I forget the guy's name, but I think he was like the Saints' third string tight end or fullback or something like that that they attacked. He still had a step on Hewitt. He's not a guy that can cover. So if you ask him to cover, 
you're going to open up the realm where teams are going to start attacking him and and or teams are going to start going after him. So what you can do is you can then take him off the field in passing situations and put Blake Cashman on. But again, not every play is a passing situation. So what teams are going to do is whenever Hewitt's on the field, they might just audible to a pass play and just go after him. And with Cashman, he's a little bit of a liability against the run. And aside from that, He's also missed so much time with that hamstring issue that he's still working his way back, and that uh, rookie learning curve kind of hit a hiccup there because he was off the field. Those reps are very meaningful for him. So, you know, it's it's a difficult situation that the Jets now are going to have to mask. And, and the way that you mask that a lot of times, which is what we saw uh, against the Falcons and you saw a little bit against the Saints, is that Greg Williams is going to dial up the blitz. He, he's going to he's gonna start pressuring guys. He's going to start bringing the extra man, trying to get to the quarterback and disrupt the quarterback from his spot before he can take them off, you know, before they can complete the passes. But you saw against the Saints where that's an issue too, is that when that blitz does not get home, you're now having guys one-on-one in the secondary, and the Jets' secondary isn't good enough to stand on their head like that. So uh, the touchdown pass that, that Drew Brees threw to Michael Thomas, the 19-yarder, the Jets brought both C.J. Mosley and Hewitt on an A-gap blitz. So both of them come on came on either side of the center trying to get Breeze. Well, the Jet, well, the Saints' protection held up. The Saints' protection protected it beautifully, and Breeze let one fly down the sideline, and, and Michael Thomas beat Tavon Campbell, which is kind of like a, yeah, no crap, Tavon Campbell can't cover Michael Thomas situation here. So <laughs> I think that this is something now where, where you're starting to see the issues with the Jets, is that if they're able to get home with their blitz, all is going to be fine. But, but when they start to need Hewitt to cover someone like Kamara out of the backfield, it's going to be a problem. When they start to fail to get home with their blitz, it's going to be a problem. You know, this is an issue. I mean, unfortunately for the Jets, there's no real way to solve it this year either. Avery Williamson is not coming back this season. No starting cornerback is going to shake free uh, on the trade market or or in uh, or, or on cut down day. That's just not going to happen. Teams don't cut starting corners. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a – you know, the commenters actually on, on the athletic have gotten gotten on me about the, making this analogy before, but or uh, an, uh, yeah, analogy before. But you know, Mike McCagnan made this bed, and now it's it's Adam Gase, Greg Williams, and, and Joe Douglas who have to sleep in it, and and they're they're kind of stuck because there's really nothing you can do. You covered the cornerbacks there as well, um, pretty much. Was there any silver lining from that position on Saturday night? Anybody that that made a play that made you think there was some hope there for the secondary? Uh, it's tough because, you know, Breeze and, and Thomas and, and Kamara were yanked after the first series. So, I mean, the first series, the Saints went right down the field and scored a touchdown in like three minutes. So, I mean, it was it was kind of tough because then when Teddy Bridgewater came in and the backup line and the backup wideouts, I mean, you want to hope that, that the Jets' corners, even in their current state, can cover Ted Ginn Jr. I mean, that's kind of what you hope, and that's what they did. So, Alex Brown had moments. I thought uh, Tavon. Uh, oh yeah, Alex Brown had moments. I thought he made a. Call. Uh, he had a really nice pass breakup. Uh, so did Brian Poole, uh, near interception, and and he made a couple really nice plays. But again, I mean, they were making the plays not against Drew Brees, but against Teddy Bridgewater, the backup receiving core, and the backup offensive line. So, I, I think that that's where for me it was. Well, I mean, yeah, you kind of. It's almost like the Jets touchdown drive. You, you put a little asterisk on it. Because it came against the reserve, so you look. If you're not moving the ball against the reserve, you're not stopping the reserve offense with your starting defense. There is a massive concern. So I mean, there were moments where where guys looked good. Brown, Pool, those were the two that stood out. But again, take it with a grain of salt because they're doing it against guys that that you're not going to see come week one. One area where maybe the worry meter goes the other way is place kicker. Taylor Bertolette yeah. nails a mm-hmm. 48 yarder, a 56 yarder. You hit a PAT as well. 
Um, you've kind of been consistent with your thought that that the long-term kicker for this Jets team this season probably isn't on the roster yet. Have you changed your mind at all after seeing Taylor on Saturday? Um, good question. Uh, I, I don't know if I've changed my mind, but I'm certainly leaning more towards, you know what, it might be Bertolette. And, and all signs point towards Douglas wanting a young guy. That, that he doesn't want... Matt Bryant, he doesn't want the 40-year-old the guy towards the tail end of his career who's done it before. He wants the guy who's going to be here for the next five, six, seven years. He wants the young guy, the strong leg. That's what Joe Douglas wants with this team. And so that fits more Bertolette than it does going out there and adding a veteran, which probably explains why the Jets have not added a veteran to this point. Now, this was a, a massive game for Bertolette. In fact, Douglas came out before the game when, when we were talking to him, and he said that this is a big opportunity, that he likes what he's seen from, from Taylor to this point, but this is his opportunity to shine. And and give Bertolette credit because he stepped up. He hit the PAT. He hit the 48-yard. He hit a massive 56-yard field goal with room to spare, and it reminded me a little bit of Jason Myers last year where you saw him in the prison just take stranglehold of this job and say, no, it's mine. And and I think that that certainly was was a moment for Burlett. I think that he still needs to continue at it, and he still needs to have a good game against the Eagles. And then I think that maybe his chances increase to 60%, 70% of being the week one kicker. But at the same time, I, I do believe that the Jets are going to monitor this situation. They're going to see who's let go. I think that this eases the Jets' concerns somewhat, where if they have to go with Taylor Burlett, they're not like, oh my God, we're done. This is it. The season's over. I think that they'll they'll be okay, and they'll say, all right, you know what? We can survive with this for a while. Let's give Bertolette a shot. Maybe we've got something here compared to the last couple of weeks where, where it almost seemed no doubt that he was there or there was no chance of him making it. Now they can kind of say, okay, well, well he's a very good insurance policy. If he plays well against the Eagles, maybe he, you know, let's, let's give the kid a shot. But I don't think that this guaranteed Bertolette anything yet. Uh, the players are still going to shake free on cut down day, especially a kicker. Uh, Joe Douglas has said time and time again how active he's going to be on the waiver wire. And now it's just a matter of uh, you know seeing what what kind of happens and who shakes free. The fifty six. It's certainly better. Certainly better yeah. than than what uh, than what you thought before. What you thought entering the game. The fifty six yarder was pure right down the middle. Impressive stuff. But yeah, the consistency is the key if you're kicking in the NFL. You mentioned Douglas, and he's going to be active on the waiver wire. What about the trade side of things? Jadavian Clowney, rumors spinning wild. He still hasn't reported to Texans camp. Hasn't signed his fifteen point nine six seven million dollar franchise tag and now it seems like the Texans are pretty much done with this they're ready to deal him um, and it sounds like they don't just want picks either they'd like a receiver in part of a deal as well um, what are your thoughts on Jadavian Clowney could he help the Jets should the Jets get involved yeah you know when when, when Joe Douglas was was named uh, the Jets GM one of the first thing he says and one of the one of the quotes that that really stood out to me in his introductory press conference was that he said he wanted to acquire players that that loved and he wanted to build a team filled with players that hated losing more than they loved winning. Essentially, he wanted guys that football was everything, football was their life, that's who they are. That that's the kind of guy that that he wanted. And and when you look at the moves that the Jets have made and even the smaller moves that the Jets have made since he took over and the players they've been linked to, those are the guys that, that Douglas is targeting. And I think when you even go back to, to the players that he acquired with the Eagles, those are the players that he acquired. And you know, when I, when I look at Clowney and, and calling people and talking to people around the league about Clowney, 
that's not really him. This is a guy who who has work ethic concerns, and and they, they were the same work ethic concerns that that dated back to when he was with the uh, at uh, South Carolina in college. They've carried over apparently into the Texans. He was described as as lazy to me by one source, and, and I think that when you talk about a player like that, a guy who's who's has work ethic concerns, a guy who uh, is perceived to be lazy, a guy who's already kind of worn out his welcome with Bill O'Brien. That's a guy that's that's fighting for his second NFL contract. Someone who's fighting for that mega money deal. Seldom do players who have that reputation or have that stigma suddenly become the tireless worker and the endless motor and all of this stuff when they get paid. Usually it gets worse after you get paid, not better. So I, I, I just I don't I don't see the fit from a culture standpoint of adding Clowney. And then when you add in the fact that it's going to cost a significant draft pick to acquire him. You add in the fact that you're going to have to pay him after the season, and there's no guarantee that you will keep him after the season unless the Jets want to franchise tag him again because Clowney could say, you know what, no, I, I don't want to sign that deal. I'm going to go into free agency and see if I can't get even more money than what you're offering and make this a negotiating ploy and uh, some kind of tactic like that, which would force the Jets' hand to franchise him. And then if the Jets franchise him, they can't franchise Leonard Williams if they decide to go that route with Leonard having a breakout year, potentially having a breakout year. So you add those two things in the mix. And then also the fact that you got to remember, this guy is not Khalil Mack. This isn't a guy that has 15 sacks a year or 16 sacks a year. This is a guy who had nine sacks last season, nine and a half the year before, just five and a half uh, in his sacks I'm sorry, he's only averaged like seven and a half sacks from 2015 through 2018. And remember, he's doing this largely opposite J.J. Watt. Teams are not blocking J.J. Watt one-on-one, which means that Jadavion Clowney is not the focal point of an offense's attack to shut down. So he's seeing a lot of one-on-one blocking. He's seeing a lot of just one guy taking him. He's not the, the guy that everyone, every offensive coordinator is circling. That's J.J. Watt, and he's still only putting together these numbers. So don't get me wrong. Clowney, when he's on and he's focused and motivated, he's a hell of a player. I mean, he is a very, very good player, but I just don't think he's the player that the Jets need. He's not this insane pass rusher. He's not this edge-rushing threat. In fact, according to ESPN, only five and a half of his sacks last season came from the edge, which is what the Jets are looking for. And you incorporate the fact you got to pay him with, with the, the potential culture issues, and I just don't see the fix. He's a good name, and, and I know that that's what's kind of attracted fans to him, but when you really analyze this move, I, I don't I don't see it as a fit uh, personally. I don't see it as a fit. I'm not, I'm not saying I haven't I don't have any you know, I don't have anyone telling me right now the Jets are not involved in this or the Jets are not going to make a run. But in my opinion, from what I know about Clowney and from what I know Joe Douglas wants to to build here in New York, it doesn't make sense to add him. I I, I just in my opinion. Sounds like any trade is probably going to happen sooner rather than later, so we'll keep an eye on that um, and see where Clowney does end up. Um, I agree with you. It's probably not going to be the Jets, and that's probably the best-case scenario for the Jets. All right, before we say goodbye, uh, the Press Box Food Power Rankings. <laughs> you had a home game this week, so I didn't yeah. think that was going to be part of the uh, the show this week, but they're making a move at MetLife, right? Upgrading the uh, the facilities in East Rutherford. Yeah, we're going to say I'm I am I am cautiously optimistic because what the Jets do like every uh, for the one o'clock games, which because the Jets have been pretty bad lately, they have a, they always do like um they have when you're a bad team, you have a lot of one o'clock games, no one wants you on the prime time. So the Jets have had a lot of one o'clock games lately, and every week they do the same thing. It's like 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 baked but not like 
like a crispy sausage, like bacon and eggs and like like really bad bagels on the side is basically what they give you every single game for a one o'clock game. Well, this was a night game, so they stepped it up a little bit. And, you know, MetLife has never been very good with the press box spread. It's just not something that, that they specialize in clearly. But last night was pretty good. It, w- it was the chicken parm. Uh, the 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 roasted vegetables was really good. A, a really nice salad. Uh, nothing fancy with the salad. Not like they went crazy, but just a good mixed greens with the tomatoes. Now uh, I think there was. I'm not a cucumber guy, but I think there was a cucumber on there. Uh, and the chicken parm. Like I, I I keep going back to this. I was talking to some other reporters. It was the first chicken parm I've had that wasn't breaded. It was like a grilled chicken marinated in like the the sauce with the with the um, mozzarella cheese on top. And then they had the option of you could add your own like crushed red pepper, which I'm a huge crushed red pepper fan, so I added <laughs> that on there and and the uh, and the Parmesan cheese. So it was it was certainly like eating that at a preseason game because usually teams kind of dial it back for the preseason. I was wildly impressed. And if this kind of continues, like if this is the start of what this season is like, if if Christopher Johnson has really upped this uh, th- this outing here with the press box. I honestly think you you could see MetLife climb in the rankings. I think I have him right now. I got to look. I think I have him at like fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah, yep, I have MetLife Stadium at fifteen, which is the bottom the bottom quarter of this because the Oakland Coliseum was terrible. Uh, the Titans Nissan Stadium is awful. The, it's it's borderline inedible when you get to the Jaguars, Saints, and Redskins uh, stadiums. Like you almost it's almost like bring a bagged lunch when you're eating there. Uh, MetLife is right above that because it's edible but still not very good. But this, if this is something, I mean, they they could potentially jump into the low teens, maybe maybe into top ten if this is what's if this is what is to come. I, they're not top five, like it's 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 really difficult to get to the top five with the teams that are up there. But they might be able to crack top ten if this is what's to come. We'll see. That's a lot of pressure, Met Life. Let's see if you can do yeah. it. I'm counting on we'll you. See. The thing is, you spend you spend a lot more games there than anywhere else. So we, we need you yeah, to be right? getting well fed at MetLife. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm hating like all this all this stuff. Like people get it in Atlanta when like I, we went to the Falcons game. They have a Carvel soft serve ice cream machine. I was like, you guys get this every day. Like, first of all, I'd be 300 pounds if I was doing that. But like this is just oh, I, I was so jealous. I get so jealous going to these other stadiums. Do better, MetLife. Do better. You're on your way. All right. Uh, That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Follow Connor on Twitter if you're not already, at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Um, Get all his information there on Twitter. And we will be back at you later in the week as we will kind of predict what this roster is going to look like after the final cutdown. So thanks for joining us and uh, follow the show as well. And every time we drop a new episode, you'll get an alert through the Athletic app.